0: Welcome to the Greta Aurora Show. I'm extremely honored to have Paul Elam as a guest today. He's the founder of A Voice for Men and one of the most prominent figures in the men's rights movement. Paul, thank you so much for being here.
1: Happy to do it.
0: To start with, I wanted to ask you about the concept of gynocentrism. Peter Wright has brought it to my attention recently that your definition of gynocentrism has been used into academic papers in the last year or so. I think that that's a pretty big deal because in my experience, most people have never heard this word before.
1: It, it is not in common use, no, yeah but we're getting there.
0: So do you actually think it will ever become a part of the vernacular the same way misogyny is?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I think it may take a lot longer than people are comfortable with uh, these, uh, social movements. You have to remember, even with with feminism, which officially started like in the late 1840s, it was more than a hundred years before it became prominent in the lexicon. Uh, Belfort Bax wrote about uh, feminism in in a long essay called The Fraud of Feminism. I think it was in 1889 that he wrote that. And Not a lot of people at that time knew what feminists were. Uh, But it it just, these social movements are like big lumbering ships. They don't turn on a dime. They're uh, very slow to respond, but eventually we get there. And I think we'll get there with gynocentrism.
0: Do you think there's any unique benefit in talking about gynocentrism when criticizing feminism rather than merely criticizing feminism? Does the word itself hold any special significance?
1: That's a very good question. Um, My opinion on that is that yes, there's a great benefit to it. As a matter of fact, there is a detriment in confusing a lot of gynocentrism with feminism. We talk a lot in terms of critiquing feminism. Well, at the core of feminism is gynocentrism. So when we start using the correct language to describe a problem, we're actually enhancing our knowledge of the the problem itself. Uh, We've been saying at A Voice for Men for years that uh, being anti-feminist isn't enough for men. Men need to understand gynocentrism and act accordingly in their lives. And the only way we're gonna get to that is to talk about gynocentrism a lot more than we talk about feminism.
0: I realized exactly that thing about being an anti-feminist recently, because when I started my YouTube channel, it was all about celebrating the differences between men and women that was my original aim because I have a background in biology and I just find it incredible that you can talk about gender without ever discussing hormones or brain differences
1: for example. Or the differences between men and women which uh, I think should be celebrated. I think uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing is um, the one of the, the the biggest bits of damage I think that feminism did to the social consciousness was for some reason to convince people that there really were no differences between men and women that weren't biological. There's huge differences between men and women, both biologically and in terms of the psyche uh, and in how we're socialized, how how we're taught to view the world, how we're taught our role in the world is all vastly different between men and women. And of course, feminists tried to assert the theory that that was all socialized, that none of this was biological. And of course, that's nonsense. We can see it in brain scans uh, for pity seek. It's, it's absolutely obvious men and women are not the same creatures. We have a lot of similarities, that's fine. I think that's good. We're certainly both human, uh, but to assert that uh, the only differences between men and women are socialized is insane.
0: So when it comes to nature and nurture, to what extent do you think either is an influence?
1: I I tend to view nature and nurture as operating like this. It it is is very...
0: Is it um, roughly 50-50?
1: Well, I think it's hard to say. It's hard to stay where nature ends and nurture begins and vice versa. These aren't things that are easily delineated, you know. What, is it in, what causes a man's instinct to protect women? That's a great question to examine. Men, by their nature, in many ways, are prone to protect women, even women they don't know from harm. Is that socialization? Yes. Is that biology? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't think we can attribute one to the other uh, on many aspects that they, these things tend to work in harmony with each other. And of course, sometimes as with, with anything that's biological, sometimes in modern society, we're called to rise above the biology where it's possible and to, to operate that way. But I don't think you can just separate out which is nature, which is nurture and define these things exactly and put them all in, in some sort of uh, nutshell that that is definitive. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. And I'm really happy that you you actually mentioned that gynocentrism is biological to some extent, because I've had people comment on my videos in quite a hostile tone, saying that men have no inherent drive to look after women and to care for women. So to hear it from you. I I I
1: disagree with that. Well, and there is a strong social influence in that. I mean, if you're familiar with Peter Wright's work, and I've certainly collaborated on a a few projects with him, and we trace a lot of the romantic inclination uh, back a thousand years, uh, before there was a romantic inclination in marriage. Marriage was never, I mean, until about a thousand years ago, it was never a romantic bond that was considered something you did outside marriage. Uh, Marriage was more of a a business proposition. So there certainly is a strong sociological implication uh, with men protecting women. But on the other hand, had men not protected women, we're going way back to the African Savannah, go back to hominids three, four, five million years ago. Had males not protected females, We would have been a dead-end evolutionary experiment that went nowhere. Uh, So while there's no conclusive scientific proof of any of this anywhere that I've ever seen, I find it very, very difficult to believe that there's no biological component uh, to men's tendency to rescue women. I do think, however, that it's very important in understanding this, that we're challenged to rise above that when it, when it works against our interests. And often, our tendency to enable and rescue women does work against the interests of men. And, and so there's a challenge in that, whether it's sociological or biological or both, which I think it is, uh, it's a challenge nonetheless that needs to be addressed.
0: I used to be guilty of biological determinism. I used to think that there's no way we could escape traditional gender roles because of these differences, but I've changed my mind on this in the last couple of years. And I wonder what you think about
1: that. that. Let me follow up with just one other point along those lines, because I've heard some of the same critique. I mean, what I hear sometimes in some elements of the MGTOW community is all biological determinism. And they say, women's nature is women's nature. It can never change. Women will never be different. There will always be self-seeking and self-interested. And there's no possibility of any change. And in the same breath, the same people who express that opinion will turn around and say, well, for men, all you have to do is take this red pill and you'll rise above all that stuff. Absolutely contradictory, just totally opposing ideas. One says women can't change because of biology, and the other says men can change with information. Guess what? People can change, period.
0: That's a very really interesting point about Miktao. What that brings to my mind is that traditionally, even in ancient mythology, people usually associate women with nature and men with culture. So in that sense, Could that be the logic MGTOW people are using, that women are somehow closer to nature and men have somehow risen above nature?
1: Yeah, you know, if that's the case, I mean, certainly what you're saying is possible, but if that's the case, in all the reading I've done in the past 10 years and dealing with people in the MGTOW community, reading their literature, watching their videos, producing my own, I've never heard that articulated, not once. It was always women are selfish, <laughs> uh, women are hypergamous, and these are real things. I mean, they're, they're, they're real considerations. I'm not saying they're wrong about some of the, uh, at least the superficial labels here, uh, but I've never heard an analysis that resulted in any of that community asserting that it was more sensible because women were closer to nature. That would, to me, seem more like feminist propaganda, the, the sort of the, the mother earth theory that women are somehow naturally more in tune with their environment, more in tune with nature and, and therefore subject to it. A lot of grandiose stuff in that. Uh, so no, I think that has a long way to, to go to be vetted out with any thoroughness.
0: Well, I have some thoughts on the mother nature Concept, but I don't think we should go into that. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask you about Micta anyway, so now that you brought it up, I was just wondering, what does it mean to you? Because you, I, I think you, you have very strongly endorsed the philosophy. So, what does it mean to you personally?
1: Uh, Micta is an is an expression of wisdom. Um, I think it's not. I mean, I say that, and then I say, I'm going to say immediately that it's not quite that simple. But the fact of the matter is that in modern culture, we put a gun in women's hands. In every relationship they're in, with one phone call, with one pointed finger, they can destroy a man. Nobody should have that much power. Nobody should. And what MGTOW are saying by their actions is is that I'm not going to participate uh, in life with somebody that has a gun that can train on me anytime they get to urge. Uh, They are also, I think, very wisely cognizant of what happens in our family courts, what goes on with uh, the protective orders, what goes on in custody disputes, and the fact that they are totally disadvantaged in any of this. And so effectively, they're saying, the only way I can win this game is not to play. And I think that I do endorse that. I mean, I, I would not suggest, uh, I am in an 18-year relationship with a woman I love very much. who is a huge part of my life. I wouldn't change that for anything, but I wouldn't get married. I just wouldn't do it. It, it does not, it puts my neck on a chopping block financially. Uh, and as a lifestyle, I just can't abide by that. So I do absolutely support the MGTOW movement, what these guys are doing. I don't do it uncritically though. There's aspects to MGTOW that I think are shortcomings, at least how I see it demonstrated in that community. One, Whatever my thoughts on marriage or relationships with women doesn't change the fact that human beings are wired to pair bond. That is an actual need for most men. There may be some guys out there that can you know, do without women and, and never date anybody and live the life of a monk and they can function properly. I would guess that is a, an exceedingly small fraction of the population. Human beings are wired or we're social animals and we are relationship animals too. We, we are geared to connect, whether it's for monogamy or polygamy or you know, whatever form that bonding happens in is one discussion. But the fact that we're wired to bond isn't to me in dispute here. It's a fact of human existence. And sometimes I see a denial of that in the MGTOW community. And then I see a lot of guys that are exhibiting the frustrations and the difficulties that come with chronic loneliness, uh, the anger that comes with that. So I'm supportive of the philosophy. And at the same time, I urge all men to to be self-aware enough to know that you have needs (laughs) in in that department.
0: I definitely sympathize with the fundamental concerns of the MICTA movement as far as I understand it. And I also understand it has various levels. There definitely seems to be a small minority of them who want to sh- who just shun women completely. And I've come across some, some, again, some very hostile comments. And they also often talk about sex robots, how sex robots are going to put women out of business. What, what do you think about that?
1: Well, I I certainly think that many women react to the idea of sexual robotics as though they're threatened. You see hostile reactions from women all over the planet. When you mention something that can, at least on the physical level, uh, potentially replace them, Well, there's women out there that are developing careers right now of activism trying to stop this from happening, saying that it promotes rape. And, of course, that's nonsense. Uh, All the evidence we have. uh, Yes, absolutely. It would uh, diminish sexual assaults. Um,
0: it makes you think about how much those women value themselves if they think a sex robot is a threat to their existence.
1: Yes, exactly. And they're viewing their themselves as a commodity and the sex robots are a competition for that. It diminishes the power, at least psychologically. For some women, they look at this and they're very threatened by it. They don't want this to emerge at all. Why? They'll, most of them would never admit it. They don't want to see sex robots emerge because it would diminish their power. Um, You take an average guy in a situation 20 years from now when they're really have made a lot of advancements of this and say he's in an argument with a borderline girlfriend who is impossible to please, who is berating him, who is treating him like garbage, and then he has the information in his mind that he can have sex without listening to this crap. Yeah, it's a threat uh, and it should be. And I hope it inspires women to wake up to the fact that guess what, you guys need to bring something to a relationship other than sex. Uh, it, it's Yeah, um, the women who
0: actually protest uh, the development of sex throughout. So, I and mean, they kind of justify the really extreme MGTOWs who are saying that women's only value lies in sex. I've heard it I've heard many times before that a woman's youth is the only value she can give to a man and sex is the only. So those feminists are actually, yeah, they're, they're justifying these arguments. So
1: Yes, they are. They're stoking the fear. And, and it's certainly going to, as technology develops, because, I mean, uh, I don't know how many people have, have taken a look at places like the dollhouse UK of these companies. We interviewed Phil Bass on regarding men uh, about this. Some of these, the technology on this is advancing rapidly. And the more it advances, I think, the more afraid women you're going to see. Um, And of course, they needn't be afraid. All they need to figure out is that they need to bring something to a relationship, that they have to bring a grown woman who can contribute equally to a relationship in some form or fashion. However you model the relationship, it involves two adults showing up and putting in their effort to making things work. And unfortunately, in society right now, we have raised to almost three generations of women to believe that they are obligated to not to bring nothing to a relationship, that all they have to do is show up and be present, and that should satisfy a man. That's not going to fly forever.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with it completely. I've been thinking of getting in touch with Fabes. By the way, I've been looking at his site, and I love it that he's. I think he's taking customized. Orders
1: now, So I'm thinking of getting one of Scarlett Johnson. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> awesome. And you see, I don't, you know, men don't seem to me to be threatened by this at all. Um, I think most men, have one, we're, we're all aware that, that 99.9% of women on the planet have a vibrator plugged in and ready to go. The, the Sex toys are nothing new for women a, at all. They're even more recent for men. Uh, but I don't think men are threatened by this. They don't see this as a big deal. Actually, Why? Because they already know what they bring to relationships that a robot can't. Yeah. I
0: had a conversation with a friend recently about this and he raised a very interesting point that women seem to be content with just a vibrator, just a deal, which just represents one part of a man. Whereas men want, want probe, like a rubber doll or, or a sex robot, but it's the, it's the complete woman physically. So that must mean that men want more than sex. You know, there's something about the entire woman that they, that appeals to them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've I've worked clinically with men for 35 years, and I can I can tell you this this idea that men only want one thing is the biggest bunch of hogwash that ever existed. Yes, men are visually sexually oriented; they are driven for that. It's part of their nature. It's part of their weakness too. Uh, but on the other end of that, men want a loving relationship. That's what I think really is the main driver of men into the MGTOW movement or to become MRAs or uh, to look at women differently through a red pill lens is they didn't have a problem getting women. They didn't have a problem getting sex. What they had a problem with was an intimate relationship and finding one woman after another who was incapable of having one. And we have this big trope in society that women are more in tune with emotions and uh, more skilled and have more emotional acumen than men. And what I've seen over the years is women who struggle to be able to commit to an intimate relationship for the duration uh, women who don't understand men's emotional world very well at all as a matter of fact women that are just totally indifferent to the fact that men do have emotional lives um, they don't know how to relate to it so that uh, my experience has taught me the exact opposite of what most people believe about men and women
0: I also think not, not only do women sometimes not understand that men have deep feelings too but they actively discourage them from embracing and exhibiting these these feelings especially it seems to me that from a young age mothers tend to kind of encourage boys to be strong. Our whole society is built up in a way constructed in a way to impose this artificial sort of idea of strength on boys and young men. So what do you think we as a society can do about that? Is it even possible to
1: change? I don't want that to change. I want men to be strong. Um, I think what men have to do as they age and go through different phases of life is to be able to take that message that men are strong and apply it in a more rational way. Because what, what men actually hear is, you know, if somebody rips your heart into, don't you dare shed a tear. Uh, because big boys don't cry, that sort of thing. That form of strength doesn't serve men well at all. And I think what happens in the process of men going red pill is they begin to examine that, examine their emotional lives and realize strength is, a, is, a, is an asset. <laughs> it's a wonderful asset to be strong. But not at the expense of denying your emotional existence and not at the expense of, of being in a position where you can never ever express vulnerability or ask for support. That stuff isn't strength. But I think men are, one of the things that happens on um, our groups at Regarding Men, we're, we're doing groups now, every day of the week, large groups of men talking about their problems, uh, this is all expressed from a position of strength and they're surrounded by men who want them to have a strong will going through dealing with these problems. Um, just the message, you need to be more vulnerable or you need to be able to cry, that's cliché at this point. And it's, it's, it, that's stuff that's coming from 50 years ago from the belief that men don't have emotional acumen. Men are emotional masters. That's one of the things that we raise men to do. Not, it's not to deny your feelings or to deny your emotions, but you must master them. You must be able to act rationally even when you feel differently. And this is a strength in men. And we wanna nurture that and, and foster it and reinforce it and support men for having that strength. And at the same time, nobody in any of our groups would ever dream of telling somebody to man up or to not cry, or any of the things that we're charged with doing. So, I mean, I think you tapped into a very important topic for men, Uh, but I think the way we solve this problem, so to speak, is to understand, one, and embrace men's strength and their emotional acumen, and at the same time, encourage men not to beat up on themselves, because what what men do is they they see themselves as responsible for everything in their lives. And they tend to come into marriage counseling, blaming themselves for every problem in the marriage. Uh, We need to encourage them to stop that. But I think it's great to have strong men. But that doesn't mean that I subscribe to the theory that big boys don't cry, or that we should make them deny their emotions. We should encourage their feelings. And then not shame them because what men get right now is men are awful with emotions. So you need to express yourself. And the guy says, okay, I'm mad. Then it's shut up, quit whining. (laughs) (laughs) We need alternatives to that bit of craziness. That's for sure.
0: I just finished reading your latest book men-women relationships and you I knew
1: somebody did
0: (laughs) talk about the rules that govern men and women and you talk about how men just will not complain as a group. So how do you feel about complaining from a man's perspective? Should they complain?
1: oh hell yes, they should complain and then complain some more. And then when people tell them not to complain, they should turn the volume up to 10 and then complain some more. Yes, men should complain. Uh, we, that's one of the ways we do misuse men is we tell them, you can never complain. That it, you know What are you, some kind of pussy? Um, what, you got a problem with a woman you can't fix? It must be something wrong with you. Um, no men need to complain and they need to complain in a healthy way. But the trick here is that nobody that I know in the men's movement really wants us to become a a movement of victims. I think feminism did that to women and it did not serve women well. I think feminism betrayed women along those lines, uh, betrayed their nature, and basically insisted that they have an identity of a victim. And victims aren't happy that's the problem. Victims are never happy. I don't want men to be victims. I want them to complain. And when somebody says, you're acting like a victim, I want them to say, fuck that. I'm not acting like a victim. I'm making a complaint, and it's a legitimate one. And to be able to stand strong with their ideas like that, uh, without letting people use the number one tool that we use to, to control men, and that's shame.
0: I definitely see this happen a lot in modern culture that feminists seem to encourage men to, to express their emotions, but then when they do or when they complain, they're just, you know, they're just asking questions like, where are all the real men?
1: <laughs> exactly, uh, yes, they're saying you need to express your feelings and then when you do, they shame you for it. It is absolutely stunning and it's why a lot of men don't express their feelings is one of the things feminism isn't going to tell you and they'll never talk about they talk about men and their domineerians and their strength and their macho-ness all qualities that attract women and if men became what feminists wanted them to become all of them would sleep alone
0: yeah i agree i always keep going back to the same illustration that during the Me Too movement, the top best-selling novel and blockbuster was Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, that's just so incredibly- (laughs) Oh,
1: Are we learning anything here? Yes.
0: My main awakening was during the Me Too movement. Uh, It really was a real wake-up call. I mean, I never considered myself a feminist But it was in that time that I started to actively consider myself an anti-feminist. And I do think that movement has really harmed the relationships between the sexes. I don't think anyone really trusts anyone anymore. And you talked about, in the beginning, you talked about how women have the power to ruin a man's life. And that thought really frightens me that I could sleep with a man and then the next day accuse him of rape, I could potentially completely ruin a man's life. And I don't think, I don't think I should
1: Proving his innocence um, because of the lack of due process. If you accuse him, then the onus is on him to prove he didn't do it. Uh, You don't have to prove that he did in the age of Me Too. He has to prove that he didn't, which is impossible.
0: Yeah, it's such a difficult one. I've been meaning to make a video about this, and I do want to talk about the Me Too Fifty Shades of Grey dichotomy, but it's just very difficult. Even as a woman, it's a very difficult subject to talk about because we do know that women have rape fantasies, but then the conversation usually stops there. You don't want to you don't want to draw any conclusions. You can't really go any further than that. I have been in situations where, there was one situation in particular when I came really, really close to being great. But if I think back, I made at least three major mistakes in like 30 minutes. There was just a fourth mistake that I I could have made. I would have just got me there. But if I think back, again, this is just obviously very, very sensitive topic. I don't think I would have been it would have been fair of me to, to cry rape because I do believe that as a woman, I have to take responsibility. At the end of the day, I do have to take responsibility for my actions. And I do know that I made mistakes and I could have given the man the wrong idea. And there's a lot of unconscious stuff going on that there's just no one can really, it's just very difficult to make sense of it in a, in a logical manner. And I've been reading about, different studies that, that looked at the rate of forced rape accusations. And there are some studies that put it up to like 40%, something like
1: that. Yeah, the Canaan studies put it at nearly 45%. And then there's a McDonald Air Force study that came up with basically the same number. Um, but I think it's—I mean it speaks well of you, that you're willing to own that stuff. And I would imagine you're probably a happier person in general than women who would not own that stuff. And we've gotten so crazy with this that we can't even talk about ways that women can prevent sexual assaults. Because the moment you assume that women have power to prevent that from happening, then you're, uh, it's rape apologia. And um, we, you know don't tell me not to get in a, get drunk and get in a, a car with a stranger. Don't tell me not to do that. Tell men not to rape, which is an absolutely ins- insane approach. Yes, we all have to own our decisions. That doesn't mean, had you been raped, it would still be the rapist's fault for committing the rape. But in yeah, owning your decisions, you get a chance to prevent that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly and it wouldn't take a take away from the trauma of it but just because an experience is traumatic it doesn't mean you had no role in in generating the same situation
1: like, of course that is a very sacrilegious thing to say in the feminist sphere uh that, that you had a role in things which of course we all have roles if i leave my car in the parking lot with the keys in it and running and somebody steals my car, I gotta own that I've made bad decisions. And the same thing applies to what happens in, in some cases of sexual assault.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a, I have a problem with, with the terms sexual harassment and sexual assault anyway. I don't think anyone can really define what they mean you know, yeah, I mean,
1: not anymore. We used to know what it meant, maybe 20 or 30 years ago. We don't know what it means anymore. We have successfully undefined these things. Uh, and it's a tragedy, because those are things we shouldn't have confusion about.
0: And now you can look at a woman the wrong way.
1: And oh yes, the, the right gaze.
0: They're even pushing for making misogyny a hate crime in the UK at the moment. Boy. It would give rise to a lot more problems, obviously. It would have nothing to do with with the intention of the, of the person who's committing the crime. It would be up to the woman to decide that she was offended or hurt or mistreated. And that, again, that's, that's very scary.
1: Which is going to do nothing but spread the idea of MGTOW to a lot more men. Uh, it, It's awful what's happening, but that is what's happening.
0: We're not doing any favors to women too by treating them this way, by treating them as having no agency whatsoever. It is
1: misogyny to treat women as though they have no agency. It is absolute misogyny to do that.
0: Yeah, that's always what I thought. That's why I've never wanted to have anything to do with feminism because I've never felt like a victim. I am... 100% 100% conscious of the privileges I've had in life as a woman. There are a lot of things I've done that I would not have been able to do if I'd been a man. I'm, I'm aware of that. And I've always rejected the idea that I was somehow anyone's victim or oppressed. It's just, it's just so ridiculous. You get a lot of hate mail? <laughs> well, I do get a lot of hate from feminists. And I just find it ironic that most of these feminists are they usually live in the US or in the UK and I'm from Hungary. And I just find it quite ironic that growing up in Hungary, I lived in Hungary until I was 19. I had never once heard from anyone that I could not do something because I'm a woman or or I shouldn't aspire to a certain career or or any, any kind of goal because of my sex, it just never came up. I don't have a single memory of that. And then, I moved to the UK, I studied biological sciences, and then I made the mistake of doing the social science degree. And it was then, it was at the age of 23 that I first heard that I was somehow pressed and I needed, (laughs) and I needed to be... (laughs) You were
1: late to the game.
0: (laughs) And and people do think of Eastern Europe as, as a bit backwards or more traditional or whatever, but I never felt I was somehow disadvantaged because I was a woman. And then in I, the I,
1: I would disagree with one thing. I think a lot of people would look now at uh, Eastern Central Europe and say it's one of the last places on earth where sanity rules.
0: I've had people ask me a few times recently how, how difficult Hungarian is to learn <laughs> because they're thinking. <laughs> yep. I just wanted to go back to traditional gender roles for a bit because I don't think we, we covered that topic to a great depth. So do you actually think we need to abandon traditional gender roles or?
1: I think people should do what makes them happy. If the relationship, I'm, I'm in a relation, I'll use myself as an example. Um, my relationship for 18 years have been one of absolute financial equality. We both pay bills. We Uh, both take care of business. I do stuff that some stuff around the house that requires more physical strength. Uh, She does other things. So it's like, probably 50% traditional gender role stuff and 50% not. That's what makes both of us happy. That's what works uh, for us. Traditional gender roles can work for people too. I mean, I think that brings with it some vulnerability for the men that I don't like. But there are still men out there right now in traditional relationships that are doing just fine. Um, and there are people in non-traditional relationships are doing just fine. I just think a lot of this depends on the individuals involved, what they want, what their psyche is like, uh, what they're wired for. I don't think there's a prescription you can put for all people that you know this works or that works. Um, because most relationships don't work. (laughs) So if you can find anything in a relationship that works for both people, I would say do that and keep doing it.
0: That's another of my criticisms of feminism, that they seem to be pro-choice as long as the woman makes the right choice. And they, they want to discourage women from embracing traditional roles. And it just seems so counterintuitive to me because I I do think the best way to achieve equality is to just let people do what they wanna do, just liberate everyone and give them the choice to live as they wanna live.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you know, feminists are, they they view traditional gender roles as a, a burden to women. It's actually the traditional gender roles puts a lot more responsibility on men for many things than it does put on women. Um, And, you know, that still works for some people, but feminists shouldn't be talking about what anybody should do because their ideology has made women miserable. Um, I've talked to women who bought the feminist line and then ended up in middle-level management somewhere in a cubicle with bags under their eyes and pictures of their kids on the wall kids that they don't see all day, and they are really unhappy with that. They're really wishing they had gone another route instead of doing this. And of course, when, when women reach that conclusion, feminists are nowhere to be found. Um, but women reach that conclusion all the time. Anybody can Google the research on women's happiness right now, and they will find it's like feminism went up Women's happiness went down, just like that, a perfect fit for each other. So if that works for women, you couldn't tell by me.
0: It's been on the decline since the 50s, apparently.
1: In their most patriarchal form, in the 50s, where men worked, women stayed at home, they had children, took care of homes, and actually stayed married, (laughs) they ended up a lot happier.
0: Again, until quite recently, I used to believe that once back in the day, feminism could have been justified. Maybe in the early 60s, it kind of made sense to me that women needed to be empowered to embrace more masculine roles or whatever roles they wanted. But thanks to Elizabeth Hobson of Justice for Men and Boys. I think you must know her.
1: Oh, yes. Great lady. uh, I love
0: her. She's had a great role in in my enlightenment about this. And I I definitely don't believe anymore that women had ever been oppressed. Uh, No, they
1: haven't been oppressed. And I agree, see, all part of this is the semantics of it. Um, I remember way a long time ago, and I'm an old guy, going back to when I was 12 or 13 years old. And I remember one time thumbing through the the, uh, Help Wanted ads in a newspaper and they actually had them separated by sex. That there were the real jobs and then there were jobs for women and all the jobs for women were like secretary or, or something like that. That was the reality that we lived in. So it makes sense to me that people might be willing to embrace something called feminism that advocated to correct that problem. I think the problem needed to be corrected. I do think that women needed to be encouraged and allowed to pursue their dreams in in whatever they want. I still believe that to this day. Um, But that isn't exactly what feminism did. What feminism did was start a war with men. And that has not ended well for women.
0: I don't actually think men have had more freedom to do what they wanted to do throughout history. Both sexes were confined to traditional roles, oppressed by biology.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, or, or by custom and tradition, and, and there were downsides and upsides to both roles. Uh, but one of the ways of answering the question, why do men make more money, especially in the past, they don't anymore, but why did men used to make more money than women? The answer was because they had to the onus, if you were a man that didn't earn a good income, you were useless to women. Uh, you were considered a loser. There was a lot of pressure. Women had only, didn't have pressure on them in that regard. And so, you know, calling that inequity that just Mistreated women is off the mark. It's why we needed a reexamination of our roles in society, but we didn't need feminism to do that. I think that would have happened regardless because of technology. But feminism started out, these were Marxists that were advocating for a destruction of the family. This wasn't about getting women into corner offices so much as it was destroying men. It was a bunch of vindictive women. Many of them at the time were married and were financing their operations off their husband's income. Um, but I just, I don't buy there was even five minutes in history where feminism was necessary. A reexamination of roles, reevaluating second thought of things, sure. Yeah, that, that, that was important to do. You didn't need a hateful feminist movement to do it though.
0: Yeah, yeah, I consider myself a classical liberal, and I think that traditional liberal enlightenment values would have got us there eventually, just Absolutely. by, just by the by that we are all born equal, and we should all be given the opportunity to find ourselves. And,
1: and you know, women who really wanted to find themselves, women who looked at the system and said to hell with it. You look at people like Margaret Thatcher, uh, Marie Curie, uh, all these incredible women in history that did things. They were doing it back when supposedly it was impossible for women to do it. No, it wasn't. Women who really wanted those things, you couldn't stop them.
0: They didn't complain. No, they
1: didn't complain. They Educated themselves and worked really hard. (laughs) And uh, it's amazing what that did for them.
0: I mean, to me as a woman, there's nothing more condescending and patronizing than quotas, gender quotas at the workplace. I, mean, I, just, I just cannot understand how it can appeal, how the idea can appeal to any woman. I,
1: mean, I, I, also... I wouldn't want it. I would not want it. I mean, it's a, it is an insulting thing. And it, it totally betrays the history of women who pursued dreams and never let anything in the world stop them. Those go down in history with the great, alongside great men in history who wouldn't be stopped from pursuing dreams. Um, The modern movement of feminism to me isn't anything more than a manufacturer of ideas and tropes that excuse people for their personal failures. I can't do this because I'm a woman. They wouldn't let me. What bullshit is that? Yes, the world will let you do whatever you decide you're gonna take.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I wanted to talk to you a bit about the upcoming US elections. So Trump has been the first president to my knowledge who has talked about the difficulties boys and men face. Do you think he's actually acted on these statements? Oh yes,
1: I think in um One, appointing Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Education, rescinding the Dear Colleague letter, uh, insisting on due process for young men on campus who are accused of sexual assaults. Um, Also, recently an executive order that prohibits critical race theory from entering the picture. Um, He is the first president ever when during his 2016 campaign, he talked about that these were dangerous times for young men. It's one of the first things in my book, that's when Peter Wright wrote the foreword to that. And it's one of the first, it is the first thing that he mentioned that that Donald Trump was the first and only president to talk about how dangerous things had become for our young men. I don't think he's had a perfect record of what what he's done. I think some of it is necessary politics uh, but uh, for whatever it's worth, he has my vote.
0: How do you feel about the election?
1: I think we have—I mm-hmm. <laughs> think we have a possible disaster waiting to happen. I, I do think Joe Biden is a malleable little puppet that can be pushed around by the powers to be around him. And I see Donald Trump is just the opposite. He's the one that stands up to the power in Washington, DC. We are right on the edge of going in a very wrong direction. The one thing I do think is favorable for us is that regardless of the outcome of the election, I think we're gonna get Barrett appointed to the Supreme Court. And they'll give us a six to three majority on the Supreme Court, so that will prevent the leftists from going too far against the Constitution. Um, But in terms of executive orders and governance, um, it's a very bad time. I, uh, I think we're in real trouble if Biden wins.
0: I think so too. By the way, I recently made a public statement to say that I was sometime in the late 70s or early 80s, I was sexually assaulted by Amy Barrett (laughs) <laughs> and
1: I, I uh, knew somebody was as soon as they named her. Somebody did it.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a real problem because which woman do you believe in this case?
1: Uh, well, the one who's the victim, of course. That's, that's who you have to believe is the victim.
0: I lived in the U.S. too for a year and I spent a lot of time there, especially the East Coast and the West Coast. And what, what I've been seeing in the news in recent months. I mean, it's just so, so devastating and just feels so surreal. Everything that's going on in the world right now with, with corona and everything is, is insane. But adding to that, the riots and seeing cities burn. And I think, I think it's been like four months since there hasn't been a single day where there was no rioting somewhere in the US. I think it's right. completely unprecedented.
1: Yes, it is, Um, and I grew up as a child in the 60s uh, watching uh, the riots and watched Detroit burn and Watts burn in Los Angeles, and it was not near as bad as it is now. Uh, The only thing that is different between now and the 60s is that the police have not been allowed to respond appropriately to all the violence. Uh, In the 60s, they did respond and they got things shut down. It's why you, you saw you would have periods where there were no riots going on. They were periodic. But right now the politicians are, are literally encouraging these riots. And their operatives as prosecutors are putting people back on the street. The no, no bail laws, all this is intentional. I mean, it's like they go out and burn something down. They get arrested. Then the Bail Project bails them out. Uh, Kamala Harris is involved with that, gets them out of jail, puts them right back on the street where they can do more damage to innocent people and property. Um, And I think that's what I fear, that with a Biden being elected, we're going to see a lot more of that, a lot more defunding of police and uh, a lot more violence and mayhem for innocent people.
0: When I look at those scenes, what I really see is it's a society that just doesn't believe in itself anymore. There's no uniting underlying belief system or mythology that everyone could embrace. It's like the country is pulling apart. And unfortunately, it's the sort of behavior we see towards the end of every civilization, you know, just before the ultimate collapse.
1: We are a society on the edge of suicide. That's what I'm seeing right now, As a society that's trying to end itself. And I, I don't even know what to do with that.
0: It's not just the US though. We see it in the entirety of the Western world, I, I think.
1: I think you're right.
0: Unfortunately, as much as I, I believe in liberal values, it seems to me that they necessarily lead to this point where once you consider all cultures equal, you, you just don't believe in yourself anymore. There's just nothing to embrace anymore. You just fall into this trap of moral relativism. And once a culture doesn't feel that its values are worth defending, or there are no values whatsoever to unite people, it's like you, you just don't have a culture anymore. You, you don't have a civilization.
1: I'd recommend for anybody interested to go study what happened to Rome and you will see exactly where the West is headed right now. It's precisely the same path.
0: I try to do my bit to, it's ironic again coming from Eastern Europe, but I try to preserve the values of Western culture in my own work as much as possible. I celebrate Western literature, Western art, Western philosophy. But again, it just breaks my heart that you can't even study. I, I have I have friends who, who are studying at art departments. I have a friend who studied literature, Another studied visual arts. Uh, you can't even study these subjects anymore without basically being required to, to just go around with these checkboxes and just, you know, check off racism, misogyny, homophobia. And isn't it
1: ironic that if you want to understand and see examples of embracing Western culture you have to go to Eastern Europe to do it, uh, it's insane.
0: What saddens me the most is that you're, it's like you're not allowed to, to openly celebrate these authors, these writers, th- these artists, just because we have to see everything through the lens of the present. and. And why is it I just again I don't get it. Why is it so difficult for my generation to understand that those people acted according to the best of their knowledge at the time? Everyone was racist. You know, if you go back two hundred years, everyone was a racist by the standards of today.
1: Sure. And and most people would still be, even though the, the standards are ridiculous, but all you're describing there is the same thing as the cultural revolution that happened in China that resulted in 70 million people being dead. The artists, the thinkers were all crucified. And that's what they're trying to do now with our historical figures, with our great artists, with entertainment. Um, and you know certainly Solzhenitsyn wrote in the Soviet Union about when art must become an expression of the political establishment. It's no longer art, Uh, it's, it's just propaganda. And so they're destroying art in this culture. And that's one of the things that happens in these kind of revolutions. It's a terrible, terrible thing and it's gonna result, I don't think we're gonna have to maybe see it in the next five years or 10 necessarily, but at some point this is gonna end with a lot of dead people. And I don't think that's avoidable.
0: Do you see any connection with the lack of fathers in children's lives? Do you
1: think that Well, just like, you know, um, uh, 1930s area Soviet Union called women to escape the slavery of the kitchen and to come into with the proletariat and to come into the factories and work and be a part of the working class uh, that was supposed to really be the governors Uh, of Soviet society. The same thing happened in China, um, with Mao's expression, women hold up half the sky and they were very feminist. One of the ways, if you wanna control a society, you must disempower the men. And the way you disempower men is to break them off from the family. Men will fight a government to protect their family, but if they're not in the family, The only thing they have to fight for is a paycheck. And this is old school Marxist stuff. Split off men, disempower them, give women a false sense of empowerment, take them out of the home where they're safe and comfortable and with people that love them and put them to work. And um, we're doing the same thing now in this culture that's been done in others. And if you look at the history of China and the history of the Soviet Union, it doesn't end well.
0: But for some reason, we have to keep trying because there are always people who hope that if we try it often enough, eventually it's going to work.
1: Yeah, we learn from history that we don't learn from history.
0: I don't want to end on such a pessimistic note. I'm just trying to think of something more upbeat
1: to us but well it's not a we're not having a happy discussion this is an unfortunate reality in the world Um, but one of the things that's really good is that we do have technology you and I can talk to each other from different parts of the world and we can challenge this way of thinking and we can create intellectual refuges for people who want to escape the insanity that's something we can do and we are doing There is a a subculture of people who aren't buying any of this, and it's pretty large. You know, Trump in America has 60 million plus voters for him. There are 60 million people. Most of them uh, um, are gun owners who support the old way of thinking much more. Um, So I'm not giving up yet. I mean, I think eventually it'll probably go bad, but I don't think it has to in my lifetime or yours. We just got to keep fighting this fight.
0: That's interesting what, what you say about an intellectual refuge. I think that that's really our only hope. But I was very disappointed to discover recently that I, I got a new wifi recently and it has an adult content filter on it. And I tried to access voiceforman.com from my computer. And it was just blocked by this adult content filter. And I asked Peter Wright about it, and he, he explained to me what's, what's happening with the censorship.
1: You are O2, is that where your internet service comes? It's EE. Okay. Well, it's, uh, we're blocked uh, on a lot of places. It started out with businesses. Uh, uh, Norton also put a filter on us. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a little bit harder to reach these days, but there's there's uh, VPS. You can get around that.
0: I just don't understand whose interest it is to censor these these sites. Why is big tech so much against this message or against free speech in general?
1: Well, because big tech. I mean, they're they're censoring the president of the United States. We're just. I mean, we were censored a long time ago. but-
0: Checking jokes. I love yeah. it.
1: Yes, they're going to fact check Trump and they're blocking conservatives from being able to post at all their terminating accounts. Um, we were one of the early targets, but there's lots and lots of people and part of the problem and the solution is to get people off their addiction to these major platforms, you know, Uh, Everybody says quit YouTube and go to BitChute. Well, yeah, but even the people screaming about all the censorship on YouTube go there every day and participate there. And many of them refuse to go to the other platforms. So some of these are problems we bring on ourselves. We could abandon the big platforms and build our own networks. And eventually I think that'll happen. But for right now, people are still sort of addicted to Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Those big three uh, are are where people want to be and will continue to be there, dodging the censors, until people get ready to change and abandon those censorious platforms.
0: I think having a video streaming platform that's pro-free speech, I think that that, that could be a real game-changer. Because Twitter also has some kind of an alternative, Parler. Yep. It's not very user-friendly at the moment, but I think it can it can improve. And if there was an equivalent of YouTube, that's yep. more free speech. That could be really good.
1: Well, there's BitChute, which is an alternative, and they don't censor, and it's a crappy platform <laughs> at the same time. They're just not quite ready for prime time, but I think they'll get there, because certainly... Uh, the big tech companies are creating a demand for alternatives to them.
0: And it's, again, it's a strange dilemma because I don't believe in censorship, but I do think social media brings the worst out of people. And it's not necessarily a good thing to give a platform to conspiracy theorists, and people with really messed up, clearly delusional opinions, who who can bear the following just because they're charismatic. Whereas back in the day before the internet, you had to go through several filters. There were editors, they acted as a filter to decide whose voice could be heard. Um, so well, you- that,
1: that risk, I agree with you, but that risk comes with free speech. You you have to throw everybody in and let them talk and, and let people listen to what they have to say and make their choices. I get tired of the kooks too. I mean, I really do. Um, And there is a lot of conspiracy theorist stuff going on that I think is just flat crazy, but I want those people to be able to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree too, because if you're allowed to debate them, you can expose their lunacy. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, I think we can wrap up here. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. You're,
1: You're very welcome. And I enjoyed the conversation. We can do it again sometime.